A staggering 8 million metric tons of plastic waste makes its way into our oceans every year. And we have yet to comprehend the full scale of its long-term effects on our ecosystems and food sources. This distressing reality brings to the forefront the urgent need to address the ever-growing problem of ocean plastics. Microplastics, the most insidious form of this pollution, have infiltrated even the most remote aquatic environments, posing a grave threat to marine life and wreaking havoc on delicate ecosystems across the globe. In this daunting scenario, Fion Ferreira's pioneering research technology emerges as a beacon of hope. We now stand at the precipice of a turning point, a chance to reclaim our oceans and set the stage for a cleaner, more sustainable planet. Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Thank you for joining us today on part one of our three-part series on saving our oceans. We now have the pleasure of talking with Fion Ferreira, a precocious 22-year-old inventor, scientist, an anti-plastic pollution advocate, and much sought-after keynote speaker. Fion grew up by the sea in West Cork Island and developed a magnetic device for removing microplastics from water as part of his mission to tackle the plastic pollution crisis. Join us as we discuss Fion's journey, his innovative inventions, and the future of sustainable fishing and plastic pollution solutions. Welcome to Racing Green. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. Where are you today? I hear you're in Amsterdam. Oh, sorry, in, in the Netherlands. Yes, I'm in the Netherlands. A little bit north of Amsterdam. So I'm in Groningen, as the Dutch call it. Yeah. Groningen, as the people in the UK might call it. And yeah, I study here. So I do a master's at the moment in chemistry here at the university. Fantastic. How, how far are you through? Well, it's um, a slightly longer master's. We do two research projects. Um, so I'm about halfway through now. Uh, and it's about a two-year master. And after that, is it PhD? I'm not sure yet. Uh, for me, what I love most is being able to be involved in, in solving problems and, and really working on those, hopefully for, for good. So I think that a PhD or doing an academic work could be a really interesting way to work on that. But I'm also open to other uh, choices. Am I detecting a, an Irish accent there as well? Yes, yeah, so I'm actually not Dutch. Uh, I'm Irish. I have German and Portuguese parents, but grew up in Ireland. Um, and yeah, I live in the Netherlands. Wow, that's de definitely um, uh, multinational uh, European for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think they should just issue a European passport for me, right? The, all these different there passports I'm dragging around. I don't know. Excellent. Well, we, we came across you at the, um, the Change Now uh, Climate Summit in Paris and um, really impressed by your, by your talk there. And um, so really excited to have you here on the show. I wonder if you could, you know, give us a, a little bit of background on what you're actually doing. What's, what's your research that you're focusing on? Well, what really I think excites me in 
the field of actually doing research and, and being a scientist is uh, working uh, on finding solutions to problems, right? And growing up by the seashore near uh, West Cork in Ireland, I just couldn't help but see plastic pollution on the shoreline. And that's why what I majorly work on is uh, microplastic removal technologies. Technologies where we can remove microplastics from water so that the water is cleaner for the environment, but also ourselves. Well, maybe to set the scene, tell us about the devastation or, or that you're, you've experienced and now as a scientist, the data um, you know, beyond you know, West Cork. What is the real issue with, with plastics and microplastics in the ocean at the moment? For me, I was quite young when I started uh, yeah, looking into the plastic problem. I'm currently 22 years old, but uh, really from the age of about 12, I was already um, on the coastline and seeing a huge amount of plastic on the shores in West Cork. And at first I thought, well, this is just a freak event. This is just my area. And it's not really harming the environment. They're, they're just these bits that are lying on the beach, a bit like rocks. But then very quickly I realized, A, when I was on holiday, that plastic is pretty much on every beach in the world. And B, that these plastics are getting and broken down into smaller and smaller pieces and will eventually turn into really small plastic particles, so less than five millimeters in diameter. And then they're called microplastics. And these are almost invisible to the naked eye, but they're plastics that we can ingest and we can absorb into our bodies. And they can be a pathway for toxins to enter our body and really cause a lot of harm. So definitely something that at the time nobody was talking about, but I felt like was a really dangerous thing and something that worried me greatly. Yeah, yeah. So big, you know, really big topic, the oceans. Yeah. Um, so what kind of solution are, are, are you proposing? or where, where, where is your work taking you uh, in, you know, solving this problem? Well, um, first of all, I would like to say that I don't actually have a solution to this problem, right? I've got a method to remove microplastics from water, which I've developed. But the only way we solve this problem is by stopping to put microplastics in the water in the first place, right? So what I really wanted to, to work on was, uh, well, first of all, measure. So I started off just by measuring plastics in the environment. And then, well, at the time, nobody was measuring for microplastics. But then I realized that, well, the water was full of microplastics. Like all the water around me was just ridden with plastic, even the water coming out of our well. And that's when I then thought, well, I'm drinking a lot of plastic every day. A later study said uh, that we drink about five grams of plastic a week on average. And that's about a credit card's worth. But also it made me think, well, what do the water filters do? And it turns out they don't do very much. Uh, plastic's letting through all our filters and we're yeah, ingesting a lot of plastic. So then I thought, well, we need to find a way to remove it from water. And I'm 16 years old, or at the time I was. And I thought, well, why don't I just try out and see what I can do? Yeah. So what is the method? Is it, is it a filtration system that you're working on? No, not really. So if you think about uh, ways to clean water, right, we've got kind of two or three major methods for drinking water, particularly. One is a traditional filter, right? So water passes through these smaller and smaller mesh sizes, and anything that's solid in the water will get stuck in these mesh. But... I thought, well, microplastics get smaller and smaller. How do we know that we fish everything out? It's really difficult to the point where these microplastics are so small that they're, they're 
really just a couple of times um, bigger than some of the smallest particles that uh, filters can take out, even to the point where filters are no longer effective. So I thought, well, why don't we come up with something that doesn't rely on pore size and instead uses the interactions between oil and water? We know that oil is nonpolar. It means that it floats on top of water due to its low density, but also it makes a separate phase. It doesn't mix with water. And plastics are made from oil. They're in fact also mainly nonpolar. And that means that when we bring plastics in contact with oil in a water environment, typically the plastics would stick to oil. But, well, this kind of also worried me because I thought, well, creating oil spills is probably not what we want to do in the oceans. But instead, what if we could make a controlled oil spill? So what if we could make a magnetic oil that we can control using magnets? And that was really my first thought. And just a small experiment in a beaker where I added a little bit of oil, a little bit of magnetite powder. And uh, yeah, I mixed it with some water containing plastics. I saw the plastics migrated from the water into this magnetic ferrofluid mixture. Okay. So actually plastics can be gathered using sort of um, magnetics. Well, we can control the gathering of plastics using a magnetic liquid, yes. We can attach the plastic to something magnetic. Almost like uh, I give you a big magnet to hold. You will also be attracted by a magnet, right, through this object. So that's basically what we're doing to the plastic. We're attaching something that makes it magnetic, so then it can be uh, yeah, controlled using a magnet. Wow. Where did that idea come from? Well, um, at the time... I was uh, going to class, just normal uh, high school, and I really saw that where plastic was coming from, that was coming from oil, and I saw these interactions. Yep. So I don't know. I thought the the mixing oil with water was a very standard experiment, and for me that was just a, a simple high school extraction method that we all learned called the liquid liquid extraction. Yeah. And I thought, well, why hasn't come up somebody come up with this before? But then I thought in physics we had a we had something to play with and it was a magnetic putty and you could bring a magnet close to it and it would move. I thought, well, what if we would apply this to oil? And making a magnetic oil is actually quite challenging, but basically scratching some magnetic powder off old cassette tapes and then actually realizing that that was a very, very uh, stupid way of doing it. But instead I could have just uh, got rust powder from a rusty nail and homogenizing that with oil actually resulted in quite a good mixture for microplastic removal. That's creativity. Yeah, I think um, my parents really instilled in me a feeling that anything I wanted to do, I could always just have my shot at building it. They both uh, studied traditional wooden boat building. Father builds uh, traditional wooden boats in Ireland. And for me, you know, if I wanted a piece of equipment for my home lab, they could just build it. And that's why I thought, well, why don't I just build a method to remove plastics from water? So how far away is this idea, this method, from actually being feasible to work in in an ocean? Well, in the last, I would say, maybe year and a half, really, uh, I kind of started working on the scaling of it, right? But what I need to stress here is that I'm a scientist. I work on that beaker scale and test it and show that this works. I had no experience in engineering a process and making a business out of it and making this feasible. But... What I do know as a scientist is where we need to bring this into force first is where plastics are entering the sea and also where we're cleaning drinking water for our own use. 
So really uh, engineering things for rivers, but wastewater treatment plants, because in fact, the most of plastics come from clothing, which is made from plastic uh, and the little fibers break off microplastics. Um, but also looking at drinking water treatment applications. So then when I thought, well, I could uh, start working with a company like that, but instead I didn't want to just make my technology exclusive to certain peoples, but I wanted it to be available and something that's easy to implement, right? That anybody could build this. So I yeah. worked on a prototype with funding from Robert Downey Jr.'s Footprint Coalition, uh, which really came from uh, the World Economic Forum, which I attended in 2020 in Davos. Um, and then from that, I realized that um, my method worked even on a larger scale and in continuous flow. And now um, we're actually seeking investment. Uh, so our kind of first round of investment uh, to be able to transform our prototype from this smaller scale into something larger um, that we can then ultimately license. How else does it affect these ecosystems? Well, to the ocean specifically, the microplastic pollution is really harmful, right? So uh, these small plastic particles are ingested by a lot of fish, but they're bioaccumulated. So it means that if a small fish eats a small amount of plastic, and then let's say something like a shark comes along and eats thousands or hundreds of thousands of these small fish daily, that shark accumulates a huge amount of plastic. And that's something that we're really seeing, that there's bioaccumulation happening. This also uh, transfers into uh, seabird populations, and really some seabirds then uh, accumulate plastic, and it's causing a lot of deaths. Um, a recent study actually on the northern Fulmar, I was in the Arctic recently actually, measuring plastics in uh, sea ice there. But um, the northern Fulmar, um, they found that every single bird they looked at can, had to some degree plastic in its stomach and quite large quantities too. And really it's something that we don't know the, 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 the impacts of, but it's definitely something that I believe will have very similar impacts as on us. And there's very few studies on us with microplastics, but the ones that do exist show that they're harmful. Then we also see it in coral, right? So plastics often get captured by coral. And um, a lot of these materials that harm coral um, sometimes they adsorb to plastics. And that's also something that's harmful. So definitely worrying. Yeah, so there's a, a massive pervasion of plastics into all our waterways and the oceans. This is the first time I've heard of this term bioaccumulation. That sounds very ominous. Yeah, so bioaccumulation is where we, we accumulate things which don't leave our bodies again. And often this happens through the food chain, right? So uh, a little a krill will always filter the water and it'll, it'll eat um, some plastic and that will actually stay inside the krill. It will not excrete it. And then if uh, another animal comes along and eats those krill, it will get the plastic that the krill ate. And like that, accumulation occurs. We, we exponentially see an increase in plastic the higher up the food chain you go. Shocking. And you mentioned just before that it's really important to just stop plastics getting there in the first place into, into the waterways. How are we going to make this happen? Well, I think, as I've said before, what I do and my work is not the solution to the plastic problem. I think removing plastics from water is something we are going to have to do for the rest of our lives, yes, because there's enough plastic in yeah. the water already. But the solution is that we re-engineer plastic or we stop using plastic entirely 
such that either it can break down uh, into natural components or that we just don't have plastic pollution in the first place. Now, how to do this is definitely a really difficult question and one that I think a lot of people are trying to answer. A huge number of research groups worldwide are working on plastic alternatives. And also, I think behavioral change is really important there too. But I think ultimately what we need to do is remember that uh, plastics are really quite good materials. They are strong. They last for a very long time. And I think the first step that we can do is try and avoid buying plastics that only last, you know, a day. Single-use plastics, I think, are really the biggest problem here. And if we can eliminate plastics that are only used once or twice and only get plastic products if they are ones that will last really many years, for instance, like a plastic office chair or so, I think that that is the biggest impact and the biggest change we can do right now. That's a very profound thought there. Um, obviously, we all, you know, single-use, 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 but what you're really saying is that plastics are a, are a very good solution if they're used for multiple occasions. Yes, absolutely. And I think that uh, plastic is actually a great material, right? And that's why it became so popular. It is so versatile and it is definitely something that has had many uh, decades of science and chemistry to make it such an amazing material. And I think what we should do is not try and ban plastic from our lives entirely, but instead well, in the single-use cases, re-engineer the plastic. We've got enough polymer chemists out there that they can re-engineer it, make it better, make it a plastic that breaks down after two days into non-harmful components. Or if we do want to keep the plastic, that it is one that's robust and that will not shed microplastics. Because I think banning plastic in its entirety is something that is unrealistic and also will, will be harmful to our economies, but also our way of life. I think something that I'm hesitant about with plastic is also uh, what they add to it, right? So a lot of the time, yeah. it's not the plastic itself that's harmful when we ingest it, but it's like what it carries with it. And I think that trying to make it such that it doesn't act as such a, such a harmful vector for infection and for toxins, I think that that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, quite a lot of poisonous ingredients added to the, the plastic itself. But also, just like how my method works, right? So I can attract plastics from water based on a non-polarity. A lot of non-polar things in water are actually like, for instance, pharmaceutical products that were washed down the drain from people. Um, or, for instance, um, a lot of natural toxins are actually non-polar. So just like how my method attracts plastics from water, plastics can actually attract these harmful chemicals from the water and concentrate them on their surface. So even if the toxins were not in the plastic to begin with, it often is the case that they will gather them over time. And are there any other solutions that are out there that might be also complementary to your way of, of, of gathering plastics? Well, uh, I think that all plastic gathering solutions are needed here. This is not a competitive space. It's not that one solution is the be-all and end-all and the only solution, right? But we all need to work together to fight plastics in any size range. I support and I share um, my technology and also uh, the work that I do with other scientists who also fight plastic and microplastic pollution. And really something that I would like to shout out is the Great Bubble Barrier. Um, they are a solution where they use a wall of bubbles to capture big plastics, microplastics not so much, but big plastics from uh, waters entering, for instance, the sea in a river. Um, and I think it's a really excellent solution. 
and actually building a collaboration with them is something that I'll be really interested in uh, later on. So getting the plastics before they become microplastics. Getting them before they become microplastics, but also trying to combine that with something that collects the microplastics too. That is the Goldilocks yep. zone. So what would you recommend to our audience they need to do to help remove single-use plastics from our world? Well, I think that um, really the most important thing that we can do is to stop buying things that are packaged in single-use plastic, right? That's the only way that we as really citizens can make a change. I really, really try to avoid buying things that are packaged in plastic. I go to my local market, try and support local producers, and also really try that when I go to a local store that package things, so for instance, um, one of the market stands close to my house will always package things in plastic bags, and me going there just with a cloth bag and saying, hey, you know, uh, like this is better for you and it will cost you less. Sometimes that can make a little bit of change. Make sure to tell the story, tell others what you're doing and try to just completely avoid buying in, in the first place. I know that's really difficult, but I, I think, you know, you have to just try, start with the the most common things that you get, which you think you can, you can stop uh, getting in plastic. So for instance, for me is avocados, right? Um, they're typically plastic, packed in plastic here. And actually trying to find a place that doesn't was quite hard. And um, really from there, I expanded and learned a lot and found little stores that were independent and local and ones that I liked uh, frequenting. And then the other thing I think you can do is uh, trying to, when you get plastic, think about what you're going to do with it later on. Is it going to be a plastic that you're going to keep, like a chair, that you're going to keep for, I don't know, 20 years? Because then buy it. Like, you will get the use out of it. It's a great material. Or is it going to be something that you just throw away tomorrow? And if it is, maybe just think about it again if you really need that item. I think very soon we will have a problem that plastic, and particularly the oil to make plastic, will become so expensive and more difficult to come by that I think that that alone will drive the industry to perhaps more sustainable alternatives. Are there any specific types of plastics that people need to watch out for more than others? A lot of people buy plastics which are labeled as made from biomaterials. You've probably seen like the straw plastic or the bamboo plastic yep. or whatever. And people think that this is better for the environment. And a lot of those plastics are molecularly the same as the plastic that came from crude oil. They will also last 100,000 years. And they often will also be really harmful to the environment. Just because it's made from straw doesn't mean that it's going to break down. And similarly, we can have plastics made from crude oil that will break down and will compost in a really sustainable manner. So always try and look for plastics that are compostable and ideally home compostable. And if they are, make sure you dispose of them in the correct bin as well, because if they go into the landfill place, they will not compost. Fionn, thanks again for joining us on Racing Green. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow. 